I do invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts chapter 12, or I'm sorry, chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. That's what messed me up with the 12 and 13. Verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. God's Word declares, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a, through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, uh, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and they went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, I want to welcome you all here and congratulate you on beginning the year with perfect attendance. You just have 51 more weeks. Normally, on this Sunday, I give out perfect attendance, but we had our deacon's retreat this weekend, and I didn't take the time to go through the uh, records from this past year, uh, so I'll have those for you by next Sunday for sure, and uh, looking forward to that recognition, and um, back in the day when I was a young man, they used to hand out awards in Sunday school for perfect attendance that many would wear on their lapels and uh, throughout the year. And that was usually in Sunday school. And we um, have gone away from that, which is too bad, that, of recognizing faithfulness. And uh, but we want to still do that together, but we're going to be doing that next, more next week. And uh, for those of you who weren't here, um, this for the announcements, we do want to remind you of what's coming uh, with some changes in our programming. Uh, we're moving our prayer time to after Sunday evening, uh, next Sunday, not this Sunday. Uh, we are going to be moving our Thursday prayer time to that. Um, so please plan uh, beginning next Sunday evening to stay a little bit later if you want to participate in that after the service. And then our Thursday night will be alternating weeks of men's fellowship here or um, adult Bible study here with, with babysitting over at the house. And so uh, please, um, uh, maybe we should reverse that. Maybe we should have the Bible study at the house and the kids over here. Right? That's how we should do it. But uh, we'll work that out. And so those will be alternating weeks. We will get those started not this week, but next week with our men's fellowship. So look forward to that. But well, we come into the book of Acts. And we have from last week, seeing the sending out of uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, by God, as well as by local church and by their fellow prophets and teachers, that all were in a cooperative endeavor to uh, get the gospel out into the community in a fashion that God wants it done. Uh, God's preference is not to use persecution. Uh, rather, we, we saw that he did use Saul to already scatter the believers that they might share Christ wherever they went. For they had come, become accustomed to keeping it Jewish and keeping it within the, the walls of the temple uh, mount. And 
particularly around Jerusalem. And, and we find that uh, that wasn't really God's intention for the church. That that's how we do church planting and, and, and how the gospel goes forth. Uh, and we finally come to a group of men who want to know, Lord, how do you want it done? And they were in one of those communities that was uh, really initiated the church there uh, by the scattering of the persecution many years earlier. And so they were the culmination of that way of doing of disseminating the gospel. Um, but they recognized that really isn't a plan. To wait on God to force the issue really isn't a plan. And these men gather together to seek out what is... Lord, is your plan? How do you want it done? And in the midst of these five men, God chose two um, to go out um, by one little church, one young, fairly young church uh, there in Antioch. Uh, God sends out two men, and those two men are going to turn Rome upside down, the entire empire. Um, they're going to take a seasons to do that. They're going to take the balance of their days. This isn't done overnight. It's not done in a week or two or a year or two. But uh, for the balance of their years of ministry, um, God is going to use them and many others. They're going to be used not only to disseminate the gospel, but also to raise up others to persist in that activity. Um, and uh, we have both of those objectives really within our mission of the church. Uh, not just to get the gospel out in one generation, but to raise up those that will continue that uh, mission every generation receives the gospel of Jesus Christ so we come to the actual heading out and then we are arriving really in, in chapter 13 verse 4 uh, we really only looked at the first phrase last week we want to continue down in and really do more than just look at a travel log um, every Bible, it seems, seem, always has the maps of Paul's missionary journeys on the back. And uh, yes, it's, it's interesting to map those and to see where he's going. But there's something more substantial here than just a list of places and uh, individuals that he uh, encounters, that they encounter. Uh, and we want to uh, do full diligence in studying that out. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word before us. <coughs> we pray you might give us wisdom, understanding, to look into your word, to see its truth, to bring that truth into our lives as you would desire. And Lord, we pray you might melt our hearts. That those things that we cling to, that kept us from full obedience and full surrender to you we might relinquish them for we certainly recognize from your word that you do not want us to disengage our intellect in this process of receiving by faith your word rather just submit it to the power of your truth we pray you might help us to do that this time. My guard it certainly. It might be your truth from your word by your spirit. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to the beginning of the journey. And I think my is fading in and out. Um, I think that switch has got some work to do. Um, if I go out on you, just wave at me because I can't always tell that I'm not being projected. But uh, we, we come to the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys and uh, hopefully we recognize right away what they're doing. That uh, they're in Antioch, which is north of Israel uh, a little bit. We're still really on the eastern shoreline region of the Mediterranean and as they head out, we find the first place they're going to uh, make their way to is, of course, to the sea. They're then going to sail to Cyprus. 
uh, the Isle of Nation out there in the Mediterranean. And uh, this is no accident. This isn't uh, something that they um, uh, just uh, willy-nilly chose. Um, in fact, uh, they're going to go across the entire island uh, from one end to the other. They're going to land on one end, and they're going to preach the gospel all the way till they get to the other end. Uh, they're going to start in the east, and they're going to head west. Um, but hopefully you recognize right away where they have decided to go first. And the place they've decided to go first is the home of a guy named Joseph, whose nickname is Barnabas, son of encouragement. Um, this is Barnabas' home. He is from Cyprus. He's a Jew from Cyprus, and he knows this island. He has gone to a place that, is, that he knows the people, he knows the culture, he knows the language, um, he knows the, the, the need. He, he knows his way around. It, this is not a strange place to him at all. As we go further, it's going to be amazing how close they're going to get to Tarsus without actually hitting Tarsus um, by, in his first missionary journey. They are essentially doing a loop from Barnabas's home island to Paul's hometown. And hitting the communities uh, in the midst of that loop. And uh, we have a, really a wonderful picture for us of where our responsibilities begin in this area of missions. Uh, we have heard many uh, over the years that have taken Acts 1.8 and talked about these regions of, of first Jerusalem, then Judea, then the uttermost parts of the world. And they talk about your, your county or your city, your, your state or your country. Or, and then the world. And they try to, to create the geography of it. Um, for Paul and Barnabas, they recognize that we have communities that we are familiar with and are easily, that we can easily minister to. Because of that familiarity, we are able to know how to communicate the gospel to them. We recognize the needs that are there. We can speak in the vernacular, if you will. Uh, we know how they think. Uh, and we know the customs of the people there in those regions. And so both in Galatia, where we're going to go to a little bit later, uh, not this week, uh, as well as in Cyprus, these two men were familiar with these people. They were their own people. And while we talk about, well, this is the beginning of missions, and I want us to recognize that it is the beginning of missions, is that we begin reaching not those heathen way out there, but those heathen that are just over there, right next door. The ones that you are accustomed to. The one that you can engage with because you are once one of them. Because you have grown up in the same milieu of thought and of, of mores and, and values that they have grown up with. And you understand where they're at and, and to some degree how to reach them. And this is how Barnabas and Saul start off. Where do we go? Well, my family, extended family, my friends, the guys I grew up with there in Cyprus, they need to hear the gospel. Let's go there. I'm from Cyprus. I can I know where to go. I know who to see. Um, so let's go. And they go there. And from Cyprus, they're going to make the jump north into Galatia. And Tarsus is a city in Galatia. Saul would have certainly known his way around Galatia. Um, that's where he's from. And, and that's the, the, the region that he's familiar with. Um, and so he's going to head up there, and, and that's where they're going to. They're going to just stop short of hitting Tarsus itself. Um, from Derby to Tarsus is really only a few miles. And uh, uh, he's just going to stop short of that and then double back. So these men in their first missionary journey are really going to those that they um, aren't necessarily uh, comfortable with because believers shouldn't be comfortable with the, with the world. Um, but rather that they are familiar with, they are, they're knowledgeable of. There was no cross-cultural activity going on here yet. 
the cross-cultural work is going to be coming as they enter into uh, Asia Minor, Ephesus, and that region, into Greece, and, and, and those areas. In fact, they are going to be so culturally uh, similar um, that uh, it's going to create some great opportunities, but also some great problems, as we're going to see. Um, but they're going to address them and move forward through them. And we're going to see a pattern of ministry. Not only do we find them first going to those that they are familiar with and able to reach of uh, their own culture, they're also going to go to those of their own uh, ethnicity. As they go into community after community, we're going to see them following this pattern. That one of the things they're going to do is they're going to go first to the Jews. They're going to go first right into the synagogues. And uh, this shouldn't surprise you. You've got a man who was trained to be a rabbi, uh, and he had all the accoutrements of a rabbi while he was a tent maker, and, and we find that he really, uh, Barnabas and Saul both, Paul both worked to earn their way. Um, they didn't charge anybody anything along the way. They were willing to work and earn it. They, uh, they engaged the community of the Jews, and we're going to see that evident as they go through. And so they're going to go to their own. And this is, in essence, the, the directive from God uh, that when you receive power of the Holy Spirit, you be my witnesses and, and first take care of home. Um, not exclusively and not to the detriment of others, but take care of, of right here. Make sure that this is addressed uh, in your desire to reach the world, which is what really these men were set aside for, um, they're going to be far into their ministry before they really get cross-cultural. Um, their entire first missionary journey is going to take place without leaving Cyprus or Galatia, where they both grew up. They're going to get back to Antioch and spend a year there in Antioch. And so they're going to be several years before, and then when they start their second missionary journeys, where do they start? By going through regions familiar to them. And then they start pressing the gospel farther west. Um, but we want to look at this purposefulness of, I, I need to reach these that, that I know that, that I don't have to sit there and grapple with, with how to communicate to them and their culture. Because it's my culture. This, I know how they think. I know their priorities. I know um, how they've been, uh, uh, the philosophies of life that have been instilled in them. I'm familiar with them because I was among them. And so this first missionary journey is about your missionary journey right here. In lands not so far away, in cultures not so dissimilar, um, they're going to go to their own. And they arrive in Cyprus, a place that Barnabas was from. Joseph is known there. And they land on the eastern side, as we talked about um, in verse 5. They arrived in Salamis, the eastern uh, point of the island of Cyprus. And it says, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Um, it, we also reference that John is their assistant. He, they brought a third man along with them. And by the way, this is going to be a pattern. Uh, when I go through Acts, um, one of the messages I gave to a lot of churches was the partnerships that, that, that were used in the work of the gospel. That we get the idea of this uh, of the David Livingston model, where he's going to go out there all by himself and reach the heathen, um, and and I'm not going to discredit that work over uh, of some individuals like Hudson Taylor and and such who went out by themselves. Um, when necessity breeds that, do it. Paul did do that uh, on one occasion. He he hit Athens by himself. He left some others behind. He had other work to do. He pressed on and he arrives at Athens. We have the Sermon on Mars Hill uh, where Paul was really by himself doing ministry. But overwhelmingly, ministry is done in partnerships. Barnabas and Saul were called by God. John Mark, is a young man, is going to be added to them to train and to 
uh, consider the ministry. Uh, we're going to see him uh, hook in to his ministry uh, even after they, they divide. After Paul and Barnabas split up, they're still not going to go out by themselves. Barnabas is going to go get John Mark again, persist in training him. Uh, Paul is going to be hooked up with Silas. They're going to add men like Timothy, men like Titus, men like Trophimus, Erastus, uh, Luke. All these kinds of men are going to be joining in this ministry. So here they go, the three of them. They begin at one end of the island, and it says that they're going to start off preaching in the synagogues. How easy is that? Well, you might say, well, it's not for me, very easy for me to go into a synagogue. No, I, I suppose it wouldn't be. They wouldn't ask you to preach in this, if you showed up at a synagogue, right? So if you went over to the synagogue here in, in Albuquerque and you show up for a service, they're not going to ask you to speak, are they? What about me if I show up there? Oh, we have a pastor from a Baptist church over there here visiting with us. Uh, what would, you like, would you like to share something from the Word of God with us? They're not going to do that. Right? I don't have the capacity to have that access. But here's Saul, raised at the feet of Gamaliel, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, one who knows the law, who has the garments of a rabbi in his closet, which he would be expected to wear to the synagogue. And so in comes a man in rabbi's garments in the shawl of uh, easily identified as a man who, who knows the word. And, and certainly in just the greetings, you find out pretty quick, this is a man who is trained. And so they walk into a synagogue and the most natural thing to do is the synagogue leader would simply invite him to speak. Come share the word of God with us. Share the law with us. Share. I mean, this is a visiting rabbi from Jerusalem. This guy had credentials. And he goes right into a place where he is comfortable. He was raised there. You and I were like, what? he's walking to a synagogue and they invite him to speak. Yes. <laughs> they recognize his training and his, and his uh, uh, knowledge and he's a visiting rabbi. He just means a teacher. And the most natural thing to do is to invite this man who is obviously qualified to come and share God's word. We saw similarly that same uh, thing when Christ, when Jesus walked into, and they would invite him to come up and sit and teach, and, and uh, they did it reverse. So um, most synagogues, uh, the teacher would sit and the students would, the, the congregation would stand. Um, I've often thought that's a much better way of doing it, but I don't know how many of you would be willing to stand to the whole service. Maybe there would be shorter sermons that way. I don't know. You guys get restless. It would keep you from sleeping, though, during the service. I don't know of any teacher that's fallen asleep while teaching, um, but there are plenty of recipients that fall asleep while re receiving. So here they come. Hey, we got visiting rabbi. From Jerusalem, one of the well-known schools, the school Gamaliel. What do you have to share with us? Come on up here. Why don't you direct our worship today? And so when, when we find them coming into a new community, we find that one of the first things is they're going to walk right into the place that, they, that, that you and I would say, well, you just got saved out of that. But they didn't see that. They saw rather, I'm not getting saved out of it. I am getting saved um, as an extension of it. This, this, is the, this is where Judaism was supposed to take me. This is where the law directs me. And they saw this not as, as turning away from that, but as the completion of it, the fulfillment of it. And now I have something better. I'm not, I'm not rejecting what I was, but now I have something superior to what that is. And these individuals, these brethren of mine, need to hear that. That there's something superior to what you're hearing every week. There's something better than what than the traditions that have been handed down to you. That rabbi so-and-so teaches this, and rabbi, oh, you have something superior to the teaching of the rabbis. 
of the priests, of the Levites, of, of whoever is involved in the synagogue. And remember, so you have a rabbi. You also have another individual, Barnabas. He's a Levite of the priestly tribe. You got a one-two punch in this team. In every synagogue they walk into, you got a Levite and a rabbi. Wow. Oh, take over the service. The Levite, of course, could handle any kind of, of activity that uh, it was involved around the rituals that were performed. So you have one of the priestly tribe. You have a rabbi of the teaching of the doctrinal area. And, and, and you have them coming into there together. Um, they walk right in and they're totally comfortable. Because they were raised in this environment. This was second nature to them. And they recognized that the message they were entering there with um, wasn't radically dissimilar from what these people knew because they had the Old Testament and spoke of the Messiah and they preached out the Old Testament. And they just said, everything you've been learning, now let's bring it to its fulfillment. And the fulfillment is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And they reached right into the synagogues to reach their own. These guys have not crossed any cultural barriers at all. They're going right into the places where they are recognized, where their uh, training is, is acknowledged and admired, where um, they have the credentials to have the right to speak. And they use that as an, op, as an entry point for the gospel. And the entry point for our gospel is in the same environs. This is where we need to begin thinking of missions, where we already carry a level of respect from people that we have already built up credentials with. We already have that um, with them. And, and in our workplaces, where we are already comfortable, where we are already um, uh, have a testimony there. But that's the place to begin and to tell them, it's, I want to draw you into something better. It's part of which, well, all of which, defines who I am. This is who I am. You may look up to me as a fine worker and, and a great employee, but I want you to understand, this is why I am. I'm going to direct them to Christ Jesus. So these guys go into familiar environs and, and they simply begin sharing Christ as one of you. Here's who we are in Christ. And in the midst of all of that, they do certainly progressively go farther and farther cross-culturally into the Gentile community, which Barnabas and Saul really weren't all that comfortable with. They had some exposure, certainly, to it at Antioch. Um, but the first step, the first step of being a witness for Christ is a witness where you are known, where you already are familiar with who you're taught your audience. You're, you're, you know their philosophies and their ideologies. You know the lingo to reach them. And you already, if you have done your job well of living for Christ, have established a testimony there. You already have, should have credentials there as someone who works hard, who lives for righteousness, who doesn't curse and doesn't listen to gossip and, and to the foul supposedly humor that's out there, um, that you are one who is going to be on time and be reliable and, and all those things that, that should draw their attention that there's something distinct about you. And when you establish that rapport and that respect, that you're going to use that as a vehicle for the gospel. I am convinced these two men walked into every synagogue 
with their full garments on, communicating that this is a rabbi, this one is a Levite, and they brought with them all of the reputation of that body of, of, of uh, respect associated with that. And when you go into your environments, oh, that that would be a testimony, that you would have those garments on, that, that you are recognized, this is such a, a kind of person. And it's going to vary by your occupations and by um, your, uh, what's required of you. It's going to be different in a classroom than it is at the firehouse, than it is at the labs, than it is in a person's home, than it is at the pretzel shop or at the office. It, it, it'll vary, certainly. But the idea of using that uh, respect that should be seen and evident in your life because you have lived faith in front of them and you have and you've, uh, garnered, hopefully, some level of respect by your work ethic, by your language, by your countenance, um, that you now are going to use those to carry the gospel in to those environments, even as Paul and Barnabas carry theirs into the synagogue. Well, while there, as they're traveling across, they come across a man. As they head into the western section of Cyprus, they come across a guy um, named Bar-Jesus. Um, and he's going to translate that because he doesn't like using that. Bar-Jesus means son of, so we see bar Son of Jesus. And of course, Jesus had no sons. Jesus is a common name. And so, um, Joshua would be comparable in, in the Hebrew tongue. And so, he uses the word Elevas a little later on. Uh, so, that's just another translation. If you want to transfer from one language to another, um, Elevas. And you should recognize El as uh, a Hebrew designation. Uh, as well, and so when we when we see uh, this individual, I want you to look at him here a little bit. He is a sorcerer in verse six. Okay, the world has sorcerers. He goes on list them as a false prophet. There are false prophets out there, and then we find out that he's a Jew. This isn't a Roman sorcerer. This isn't a prophet for Athena. This is not a prophet for Apollos. This isn't a pagan at all. This is a Jewish man who in his influence in the capital city here of Cyprus, in Paphos, and he's there using his influence uh, not of the law and not of, of the, of the uh, is, laws of Israel and the, and the word of God, uh, not influencing the synagogue. This one is in there with the Romans and he has uh, accessed that by means of sorcery and uh, using uh, those magical arts that were uh, specifically declared that Israel was never to allow them in the land. You're not to participate in it. It's an abomination before the Lord to participate in this stuff. Um, this is wickedness. And here was a Jewish one who is a sorcerer involved in, in that magic and also a false prophet is communicating lies. And when we get down later and we see how, how Paul, <laughs> his approach to him, is going to talk about him, we need to recognize that Paul knew this man was a Jew. You have access to the Old Testament. You have access to, to the truth. And you've rejected that in your own life, and that wasn't good enough. You become a false prophet. You've engaged yourself and enveloped yourself in, in sorcery, in, 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 the, in the work of Satan, and you are now prophesying error to the one that you now have access to, the proconsul, this Roman official running the island. So how does Paul address them? Jump down to verse 10. 
You are full of all deceit, he says, talking to all of us. You are full of all deceit and all fraud. You are the son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, not ceasing to pervert, or not, will not cease to pervert the straight ways of the Lord. As we're out there communicating people we know, in an environment we know, where we have credentials, where we have uh, a reputation, uh, hopefully a good one, and if you don't have a good one, you better get busy um, and change that. We have openings, opportunities to share Christ. You're going to encounter those who have gotten there before you and have ruined it, supposedly. They got there before you with the same degree, to some degree, the same kind of knowledge that you would possess. And they have twisted it. They've muddied it. They've soiled the truth to their own interests. You're going to have, in those environments where you go, you're going to encounter this same kind of opposition that's uh, horrible because um, they're gonna, you're guilty by association. Oh, you're a Jew? I have a Jew in my court over here. Um, uh, what's, where is Elamus? Where is Bar-Jesus? Bring him over here. Yeah, I got a Jew too. And one of the first things Paul does in that environment is he distinguishes himself from this other Jewish guy. I am not him. And I'm going to call him out for what he is. And here in front of everyone, apparently, because the, the pro-council, um, Sergius Paulus, has, has invited in, he wants to hear. I mean, this, this news, this, this message is, is gone from one end of his region to the other end of the region. And, and now it's right here, and, and he wants to hear it. Uh, I love the designation of Sergius Paulus, don't you? He was an intelligent man. <laughs> uh, we tend to believe what the world says, that only stupid people become Christians because they, they need it as a crutch. Um, that is not how it works. Um, it is the intelligence that we have uh, maybe the best audience with uh, and opportunities. So here's an intelligent man and he wants to hear this out. He's willing to consider that maybe you aren't him, aren't this guy. Um, but uh, this guy has shown some capacity in the black arts. And so we give him a hearing, and, and uh, we've heard some things from him. And, and I'm certain, because of the way Paul speaks about him, I am certain that Elymas has taken things out of the Old Testament. And mixed them in with his wor- Satan worship, with his black magic. And he's mixed that all together and he has presented it with this, this little slivers of truth, from, uh, but perverted truth, and, and abused them to his own interests. And Paul identifies him and calls him out right there on the spot. And let me tell you something. When you go into your environments and you have somebody that calls themselves by that precious name, Jesus. I am a Christian. I am a little Christ. I'm a little Messiah. And they say, I am a Christian. And they're in your environment where you are trying to establish your testimony of Christian. So you could have a, 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 a platform to speak with um, you need to distinguish yourself. That when you see that individual and they are not living the life, they're not walking the walk, they're not talking the talk, that they are living in complete sin as a total heathen, that you call them out. Even publicly. That they might know that that is not you. That this one who is spouting off error and living like the devil Um, and is soiling the name of our Savior Jesus Christ is not what I'm about. And oh, that we would have the wisdom and the discernment to be able to recognize them 
Instead of just saying, oh, they say they're a Christian, that's wonderful. Baloney! Prove it! Someone walks up to me, I don't know them, they're at the workplace. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Prove it. Prove it. Just saying those words doesn't mean anything. Here's this guy. This is Barnabas' hometown, home country. He's a Jewish person. So far, Barnabas and Elymas, same. Jewish guy from Cyprus, Jewish guy from Cyprus. One's following the devil. One's following the Lord. Sergius Paulus wants to know which one's true. He wants to know. And Elymas realizes that I have got to block these guys from accessing Sergius Paulus. And he's going to engage himself in trying to keep these two truth bearers from having audience with this one that he has deceived for his own purposes. And he is running blockade. And as Sergius Paulus has brought them in for this audience, you can almost see Elemas over here on the side just interjecting stuff that isn't true as Paul and Barnabas are seeking to speak the truth. And you are going to encounter that. You are going to encounter quote-unquote Christians at your workplace, in your neighborhood, within your very families. We're going to seek to tarnish and dissuade the people of the message that you are trying to carry into that place. You are going to encounter these kind of people. And it is critical that we call them out. You say you are this, prove it. I'll tell you who you are. Here we go. I'll, I'll tell you who you are. <laughs> and the, and the, the contrast is there. Saul's going to bring it out. Called Paul now. He's finally called Paul. And verse 9 says, Oh, full of deceit and fraud. You're a fraud. You're the son of the devil. Oh my, that's, that's, can I do that? You must. Get rid of the philosophy of this world that's non-confrontational in our society. What a crock. That we allow these people to sully the name of Christ and never say differently. Call them what they are. They're hypocrites. They are liars. They're frauds. Fakes. They don't know their word. They don't know the gospel. They don't know Jesus Christ. They are enemies of all righteousness. And I want you to look at that last phrase. You will not, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? It is very possible that he used the name Son of Jesus because he knew something about Christianity, not just Judaism. He may have been one who had cross paths with the teachings of Christ either in Jerusalem during the life of Christ or not that far away from Christ having been alive and the events of the crucifixion or by some of those scattered but he saw an opportunity to mix this all up and says you're perverting the straight ways of the Lord and when you encounter individuals who are using this and perverting it that are twisting it and, and making something that is wondrous and, and glorious and beautiful, something ugly and warped, call them out. I'll do that in several ways. And, and you don't have to be brash or rude, um, but certainly you need to be direct. Um, I've heard people say, I'll just start laughing. What are you laughing about? Oh, they don't know anything. They don't know the truth. They haven't lived it. That, what they're telling you is a lie. You want to know what the Bible says? I'll tell you what the Bible says. This is what the Bible really says. And I'll back up my life. Intelligent people will pick it up. 
But that's not enough. Just calling them out isn't all you need to do. That's where it begins. When we encounter this kind of falsehood, this competing for the attentions and for the souls, really, of men around us, calling them out is the beginning, but I want you to see what's next. Verse 11, Paul says, Now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for time. So immediately darkness fell on him. He went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Um, Paul does something that we think, oh, I could never do that. Um, that's because your God's too small. He calls this man out as a fraud, as a liar, as a manipulator, son of the devil, a perverter of truth. But he also, in the midst of this, calls upon God to expose him. And this we still need to do. That as we prepare ourselves to call out the fake Christian who is perverting the truth and bringing disrepute to the cause of Christ by their life, their words, their twisting of God's word, not only do we call them out, but that we come to God and say, Lord, put your hand on them and expose them for the frauds they are. This is a genuine battlefield tactic that we need to implement as we go out with the gospel message that there are going to be fakes, there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing and we need to be able to identify them. We need to be able and willing and courageous enough to call them out and we need to fall on our knees and ask God to fully expose them for what they are, frauds. Well, how do you expose a magician <laughs> who claims to have insight? Well, take away both. A dark mist falls on him, he goes blind, and he can't even get himself out of the room. Well, how powerful are you? How enlightened are you? You can't even undo this. And the power of God comes forth to expose the fraud of this perverter of truth. And, of course, the pro-counsel is going to be impressed with this. He's an intelligent man. He recognizes what just happened. He says he believed. The objective has been attained. And, once again, we remember we had Cornelius back in the land of Judah, Israel. And now we have another Roman high official coming to know Christ. He believed. And that's your objective. Uh, not to pray the sinner's prayer. Um, we talked about our deacons retreat a little bit. There's no such thing in the Bible. Find one. Go ahead. But to believe. To trust in Christ. This man believed. That's your objective. What happens to Elymas? I don't know. I think it's great that Paul says, you're going to be blind for a while. <laughs> what does that mean? Months? Years? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, hours? I don't know how long Elymas walked around blind. It's kind of interesting. Nobody helped him out. You notice that? He was searching for someone who would help him out of the room. And the indication is nobody was willing to help him. Why? Because he had been taking advantage of them, hiding the truth from them that he had access to. And they recognized that what he was doing was keeping them from salvation. They, he was keeping them from the good things of God. And no one wanted to help him. 
We can't sit there and wring our hands or what's going to happen to this person if I expose them. And if God brings it out. And if I call if I call them out and God exposes them. But rather, our focus and our attention is on those who would believe. Sergius Paulus believes. Historical figure. The boss of the island, if you will, by Roman installation. And it says that it didn't end there. Um, he was astonished that the Lord and, and the indication is a, a great number believed on that home region of Barnabas. He went to his home. Priest priest was comfortable. Was granted an audience with the proconsul. Encountered a fraud. Called him out. God exposed him. And men believed. I'm convinced that that needs to happen over and over and over again where we go. The beginning of missions is in your place of work where hopefully you have a good reputation. In your neighborhood where hopefully they know you. That years later they can still talk about and recognize it. And you have the credentials to share Christ. This past week we had our overnighter and I was humbled by the fact that this really does happen and I frankly don't follow up on it. Uh, A young man comes here under the invitation of my daughter. He's having a great time, calls home, and his two brothers show up a little bit later. One brother walks up to me and says, I know you. I'm like, you do? 20-year-old. A Scott's age. Yeah. You are my little league coach of the Anacondas. Isn't that a weird name for a team? The little kid's shoulders didn't fit the name because it had to go down here and up the sides. It's like, yeah, when I told my mom where the party was, she says, oh, that was him. She says, I still have the little baseball card you made for me with all my stats on the back. And he put it on Facebook that night, I think, or the next morning. Had it in a frame. Do you think I have any credentials in that kid's eyes? We need to use those as a vehicle for the gospel. Not just a, it's not there to applaud ourselves. It's there as a means for this conclusion that they would believe in Jesus Christ. And so we go out there and live lives for Christ, not just because of the benefits to us of living lives obedient to Christ. We set ourselves apart from the world. We set ourselves apart from their worship of money and of and of entertainment and of and of self and of spirits and of whatever else of of jobs. We set ourselves apart from that. We distinguish ourselves um, not for uh, increased salaries, not for higher positions, um, and and uh, not for self glory. We distinguish ourselves. Um, not only in performance-wise, but in our in our spirit, in our countenance, in our attitude, in our in our speech, uh, for a singular purpose: to glorify God by sharing the gospel with them on the platform of those credentials that we just established. And here's a family not three blocks from my house who now, I don't know what's it been, ten years, remember that guy down there. When they start using superlatives, that that was the best whatever. That's not to my glory. That's to my shame that I did not use that platform sufficiently for the gospel of Jesus Christ in those young lives. We go to our own. 
We go where we're familiar, where we are known, and hopefully we have the credentials because we have lived for Christ. And shame on us if we don't use that platform, use that reputation, use that that uh, uh, credentials to bring people to believe in Jesus Christ. That is success. The culmination, really, of what God wants us to be involved in. Powerful beginning to this journey. But don't think that it has nothing to do with you because you haven't been prayed and laid your hands on you and sent you out to a foreign country. They didn't go to a foreign country. They went home. Barnabas' home. They ministered to those they knew. They knew the Jews in the synagogues. They engaged the frauds that are out there using the name of Jesus, using his Judaism, but also mixing it in with the nastiness of this world and of the devil. Shame on any of you if you're mixing it in with the things of the devil to get along or to get whatever. No, we distinguish ourselves for this purpose, that I may have a platform to share Christ that some might believe. And that's true in your class. That's true in your workplace, in your home, your extended family. And it's true in your neighborhood. Yes, distinguish yourselves in performance and speech, but don't do it for yourself. That's fraud. You do it for Christ. We will withdraw from the bank account of a good reputation, not for our own interests, but for the interests of others. And we know that that is that they might believe. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And again, we are convicted and recognize the need to maybe start fresh to establish a reputation that gives us the credentials to share our beliefs, to share you with others. And Lord, if we fail to do that, if we've been wishy-washy and been more like Elemas than Barnabas, Lord, forgive us. We have done such a disservice to you and to those who don't know you. We have truly walked as blind men. So Lord, we pray that you might help us strengthen ourselves, that we might have the respect of those around us, but not to our glory, Lord, but to the ministry of your gospel. We pray that we might be established. And Lord, we also pray you might give us courage to identify and discernment to identify the frauds that really are out there that claim Christianity but live no differently than anyone else, speak no differently, in fact, maybe even worse. They are soiling your name and they are seeking to keep men from your truth. Lord, help us to recognize them call them out, and then, Lord, you expose them. As the workers of darkness that they are. And Lord, I pray that if there's any of our number that are of that nature, that you would expose them. That we would call them out and remove them. And Lord, we do continue to pray that you might reach some who would believe. Lord, we know that that is conditioned upon hearing. 
And that hearing is conditioned upon people speaking. And that is conditioned upon people being sent. And so, Lord, we know that we are sent ones into our community and beyond with a powerful, important message that men must hear. For only then can they believe. Lord, impress upon us that our part that we play in this wonderful conclusion that one might believe. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.